Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself? I'm Lucy, she, her. And I'm French. I grew up in the countryside, not the very kind of beautiful nature one, the the really boring one in the middle of France. But as a kid, I was always uh, fascinated by big cities and my dream was to move to Paris. So I did that as soon as I got my A-levels, my like past high school diploma. And then I loved Paris and then I moved to London because I wanted to go to an even even bigger city. My secret dream is that I always wanted to live in New York. So then I went to live in Montreal, which is in Canada. So on the East Coast, it's very close to New York. And I'm going to go to New York next year, actually. <laughs> and I'm also the founder of Positive Impact Studio which is a, a design studio where we specialize about branding and digital experiences for mission-driven startups. And yeah, so it's an international uh, organization where we have dispatch members of the team all around the world. That's because I, I don't really like living in one place, so I like my studio to also live everywhere. Yeah, my studio is also pretty far across uh the world. And I want to ask you more about that. But first, I'm curious what you like to do outside of work for fun. So recently, ever since I've been living in Canada, I've discovered outdoorsy kind of activities, which I was never, I never used to practice so much when living in Europe. But yeah, I guess I have been living in Canada for two years and I don't think I can ever live in a place where I don't have nature around, where I can't go hiking kayaking or even snowboarding. These are my favorite things to do outside of work. Previously, when I was living in Paris and London, I didn't really have any hobbies. I was just designing and drawing and just going to restaurants. I just like city stuff that people do. But yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm more into like outdoorsy stuff nowadays. Nice. Especially during the pandemic, I think probably. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people started to realize that actually the was a life outside of just living in your apartment and going to restaurants. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's important. Yeah. So how long ago did you start Positive Impact Studio? I started Positive Impact Studio last April, so it's a very young business, but I had been freelancing for honestly about four or five years. I think I've, I have been freelancing for, for as long as I've been working in design, to be honest. I'm not able to just do one thing. I've always had internships or design jobs and always kind of freelancing on the side. I'm just like, it's impossible for me to focus on one thing. I just love doing too many things. And I think I always wanted to work for myself, I guess, for the freedom that allows 
but also because I really love taking ownership of what I do. And working with my own clients, it's kind of my favorite thing to do just because the responsibility is kind of all on me and the clients trusts you, you know, for the work that you're going to produce. And I just really love also to, to be a consultant and have people, you know, coming to me with questions and concerns. And I just really love, you know, being there to help. So, yeah, that's why I always had this like desire to work for myself or work with my own clients and that working for agencies or as an in-house graphic designer, it was just wasn't satisfying me for fully, I guess. What kind of clients do you work with now? And is that changed since you went from freelance to owning a studio? Uh, yeah, it has changed a little bit. I used to work for anyone and do anything. So <laughs> I, I did... I started by doing illustration actually, and then I kind of evolved to doing more motion design type stuff. Pretty early on, I designed logos and like identities, but when I was a lot younger and a lot junior, that wasn't very extended design systems. They were just like one logo, two colors, etc. I worked for a music band, I worked for restaurants, I worked for tech startups, and I guess as the time kind of went on because I worked as an in-house designer in a fintech startup in London, which maybe we can talk about later. Uh, because I worked for them for a while, I met a lot of people in the tech industry and then all of my old colleagues became my clients a bit later on down the line. So that's when I slowly started to kind of want to specialize in working in tech just because I, I really had this attraction and I, I was really enjoying I guess translating uh, into design some really complex like machine learning and AI stuff. And I also got to experiment with so many different things that pretty soon realized that branding is the thing that I prefer doing just because it's like, it's, I feel like it's not limiting. It's a super vast, it's a super vast discipline, right? With branding, your objective is to create an image for a brand for a client and that encompasses that encompasses just normal graphic design but also motion interfaces even stuff like copywriting and sound design so I'm, I'm just really interested in branding because it has this um, overarching thing over all other design disciplines I guess. I have a similar experience getting a lot of my network from a previous job as well. And I'm curious, again, if that's like different for you from freelance to now having your studio or is it, you know, sort of an extension of and you're continuing to get a lot of studio work from that network? I think I'm continuing to get uh, clients from that network. If it's not old colleagues, it could be old colleagues who refer other people to me but also other clients have come from social media quite a few from twitter a few from linkedin too i think and from like design communities that i'm part of i'm on a lot of different communities and yes i i, I started offering uh, free consultations as just a way to kind of meet people and offer my expertise on you know, from like really a generous standpoint when people have like a precise thing that they feel blocked in the startup or in the organization regarding design, I just go on a call with them and offer my point of view. And some of them have turned in, into clients, but uh, that's just like a positive outcome from doing this. Like that's not even just, you know, the primary reason why I do this is also 
just because I, I guess I like to help people. And it's also helps me practicing to kind of like advise people on the fly, which is a, it's always a, a challenge, but it's really cool. Yeah, I love that you're doing free consultations. I think that's really awesome. And I mean, like, obviously your name is Positive Impact Studio, so there's a positive impact goal there. Do you have sort of a filter for the kind of clients that you work with? What does that look like? Do you turn clients away because they don't meet certain requirements? Yeah, so my personally, my desire is that I, I would only want to work with uh, startups who have a a mission to positively impact the world through innovation that's centered on solving an environmental problem or a social justice issue. Uh, these are really, really the, the projects that I'm the most passionate about and I will put my heart and soul in. But being a young studio, we also have other type of clients who are just generally, you know, typical tech companies who develop a product, which we also work for because, you know, that's a way for us to expand our network and gain experience and also for me as a young studio owner to get experience into being a boss and building a team and yeah having a, a bit more of experience in that uh, but yeah we've been lucky enough that if a few of our clients are really you know really qualified as, as mission-driven startups and these were you know our favorite projects to work on and the ones that we continue serving you know we have ongoing meetings and support for them and we we really pay a lot of attention to them because they are our favorites that's nice i like that how big's your team now so i'm this i'm the only full-time i guess like uh, designer of positive impact but i have like partners and freelancers that work with me on per project basis my i guess my first the first person that i partnered with is called carlos and he lives in colombia another um, partner that I actually designed my website with is called Jack and he lives in Newcastle in the UK. I also have an intern. She she was the, the most recently involved team member and she currently lives in London. Her, her name is Ling. And yeah, that's kind of it for now. But we I continuously get on calls and try to meet a lot of people because Ling is going to finish her internship soon. So I'm going to want to like uh, get another intern on board and yeah it's always great to to meet people um, um, which you know you feel like you have a, a connection and something can can happen so I, I tend to work with people who I already know from my network because we had this disconnection I don't necessarily just put job offers up on job boards yeah it took me over a year and a half to start doing job boards it was a lot of just like, oh, I meet this person. Oh, they'd be cool to work with. And yeah, that's yeah. a lot of how that happens, I think. You mentioned, you know, your London financial institution background that you'd want to talk about. I'd, I'd love to hear what about that is is interesting to you and that you'd be interested in sharing. Uh, yeah, so, so that was a few years ago. I actually just finished my first design job, which was um, I was a graphic designer in a video game studio. Uh, and when that ended, uh, it ended quite brutally because the founder had like health issues. So uh, me and other team members were um, fired. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Yeah, I mean, but I couldn't be angry just because the, the guy really had like serious issues. So I was just like concerned about him. And I was just like, okay, I don't have a job. It's, it's okay, I'll be fine. 
And then I continued freelancing for, for a bit that allowed me to work for an events planning agency and a clothing brand. So I did a lot of different things uh, in between. And then after that, I found my uh, that job in the fintech startup. Uh, that company was called Mudano. They still exist, but they've been acquired by Accenture. So now they're like doing some different stuff, I think. But yeah, that's when I first learned stuff like agile and stand-ups and like all these crazy jargon that I never heard about before. I remember on my first couple days, I was sitting in rooms full of data analysts having the most like jargony and super in-depth discussion about whatever stuff they were working on. And I was asking myself nonstop, like, what am I doing here? I don't understand what is expected of me. Uh, I was also hired as the first designer, not of the company, but part of the the specific um, team I was working in. So the people in this team had no idea how to handle a designer, how to talk to a designer. There was literally a discovery phase of me being into this team and trying to understand their needs. Like, how am I going to be able to to help them? Because they, they have one way of asking me, can you do like this slide or this slide? But they don't actually know themselves what they need. And so later on, I figured out the problem revolved less around designing slides, which is what was I was hired for at the start. And it was more around articulating the very complex uh, concepts that they were working with and making this super simple in words and in visuals for the whole company to understand internally, but also externally so that it would be easier to communicate, uh, you know, the very complex work that they were doing. So I spent, I think, a year and a half in this company and from designing slides, I evolved to being responsible for like expanding their whole brand identity. So yeah, I created like a whole illustration system that became super widely used to explain uh, complex concepts in slides on their website. And also we took this design system and created videos and explainers. So yeah, it was one of the first time that I became super aware of like how efficient design is when it comes to communicating and explaining complicated concepts. And I could really see a change between the moment before I was here and like after I produced this work where people seemed to um, really understand better what everyone was doing internally in the company. But they also had a sense of pride and joy when they saw the designs and the cool illustrations and it, they saw that this this related to the work that they were doing which most of the time people think it's boring but then because of this fancy design all of a sudden they were like super proud and they wanted to like showcase it everywhere and yeah that, that was super cool. Can you share a bit about either your process for a project or what your day-to-day looks like and maybe because you are a design agency that works with clients and also people in other places, maybe some of the tools they use to do that. My day begins really early. I tend to wake up uh, between five and six. So the first thing I do in the morning, it's really bad, is I go straight to Twitter. <laughs> and <laughs> I just yeah wake up with that. And then I go, I guess, online and start doing my job. Um, so yeah, it starts with like um, social media and emails just to try and get into the mood for the day. Also because I have clients in Europe, when I wake up, I already have emails and messages to read because I'm 
on the East Coast in, in America. And then this past two months, I had a Ling working with me, my intern. So she had like a time slot during the day. So at eight every day, I was getting on a call with her. And um, sometimes it's like really early <laughs> to uh, start getting uh, on a call at eight and I have to have stuff ready for her too. So that was interesting for me. It was the first time that I had like someone working for me every day at a certain hour and I needed to have like a plan of like, okay, what am I going to give her to do today sort of thing. And then usually my days are filled with other meetings, sometimes project inquiries or just like networking, meeting stuff. I usually have like four to five hours uh, time kind of booked just for like focused design work where that's where I do the core of my job. So design logo or mood boarding or designing wireframes for websites uh, or the the apps that we create. So uh, there's like, yeah, usually this four or five hours. Sometimes it could be as long as like eight or 10, if that's going to be, you know, the day before the deadline, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, but the, the times where we are busy, obviously that's going to be longer, but usually it's like just half a day. And the rest is just like, you know, trying to keep time for writing blogs and, you know, keep up with what everyone's doing on social media, uh, because that's, it's kind of sad, but it's important as a design studio owner to be spending time to let people know what you're up to and uh, be present on their social feed. So yeah, that takes a lot of time. But yeah, so the, the I guess the time is divided between actual work, networking, talking to people and admin stuff. What advice do you have for someone that is freelancing and is thinking about starting a studio? I don't think you guys are gonna like this, but get on social media, honestly. <laughs> it's really important. I wish someone uh, told me that sooner, that your most valuable asset as, I guess it's true for a freelancer, but even more so for a design agency, is your network. And uh, you can never wait until you're finally ready to do some work to go and try to build yourself a network. So that's something that I didn't necessarily realize um, early enough but now that I'm like in this phase of like trying to build my network and also run the business and also create content etc I'm it's everything it's really overwhelming it's it's a lot of work so one advice that I would give to people is if you know that you're interested into something that you want to make a business out of try to continue learning about that thing and create content as you go uh, and let people know about what you're learning be generous about the things that you share. And this is it's through that that hopefully you'll make connections that down the line will turn into, you know, your network and that thing that is going to uh, generate leads for you. But yeah, don't wait until you're ready to start take on clients to start doing that. It'll be too late. <laughs> yes, that's very good advice. <laughs> I feel like our network is our superpower and that's... Yeah, that's the sort of make or break for an agency. It is. What's something that you would like everybody that's a manager of a designer to hear? If you are a boss, an art director, or a manager, you should always try to be obviously attentive to the team members that you have in your team. And just always make sure that you're there to answer their questions and their doubts and sometimes you know like if you're the person in charge you'll be overwhelmed with work as usual but uh, there's nothing worse than just like giving 
some random task to someone which they're not sure how to execute and then leaving, leaving them in the dark as per like how to how to handle it and not being responsive etc i've been there i've been managed by people who just never give you direction or they give you stuff to do then when you work on it they don't implement the solution you created for them so yeah it's just It's just a good practice in general as a manager to be as communicative as you can and be attentive and make sure you have the time to spend with the team members and not just hire people and expect them to just solve all your problems without you actually spending the time to tell them what the problem is. There are a lot of great parts of our creative communities, but there's also the flip side. What are your tips for fighting and resisting white supremacy, patriarchy, ableism, the other bigotries that we find all the time in our industries. So for example, when it comes to like uh, white supremacy, I th I'm sure that for a lot of people like me, so white cis and living in the global north, a lot of stuff that we learned was sometime around, I think it was last year, when the Black Lives Matter movement took this huge, uh, you know, scale. Um, just like as many people, I was like locked down at home. And that's when I took a lot of time to to learn, educate myself. I did that through watching Netflix documentaries and scrolling through Instagram. But honestly, it's just, it's a good first step, I guess, to like educate yourself on this, on these matters. And yeah, what I learned is that, I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm a very loud person on social media, but what I learned is that it's mostly important to show your support, but not just take all the space. And I guess as a business owner, one responsibility that I do have is to make sure that I look past my biases when I look around for people who I should be collaborating with. Uh, so I try to really just like give everyone a chance and to speak to a lot of different variety of people. And like I said, the people who I talk to, it, um, like it's not geographically limited. But I also try, like, I, I know, I try to be conscious of, like, the biases that I know and that everyone has is that you, you're most likely to talk to people or to interact with people who you feel are like you or look like you or feel the same. And so that's one thing that I, I try to, you know, not, not ignore and look beyond. So, yeah, that's, I feel like... That's one easy thing that you can do in terms of ableism. As someone who designs websites, I guess it's like super, super important to pay attention to how accessible your design is. And that's a very complex conversation. I'm also not an accessibility expert, but yeah, that's something that I always try to pay attention when I design a website. That and also something which we can talk about after if you want, but like the carbon emissions of a website, which is also interestingly related to how accessible uh, a website can be. Great topic. So I'd love maybe if you could share more about that with our listeners. Yeah, of course. Obviously, because I started my company, my studio, because for the very reason that I wanted to be able to work with businesses who are doing good for the world. And also it was kind of the action that I took after a super, super long reflection and introspection about how I was impacting the, the world. I guess, you know, like the result of me existing and 
and how I can limit my carbon emissions and how I can, I guess, try to not make the world a bit more shittier, shittier than it already is. So the result of that reflection is I could either stop designing altogether because that's too that's too like impactful and designers are responsible for consumers consuming too much and for companies producing too much we have a lot of responsibility and ownership to take on that so two routes there i could either stop being a designer or try to be a designer for good And yeah, I realized that only the second option was viable for me because I can't stop designing. If I stop designing, I die. With that in mind, I try to look at everything that I do in terms of how impactful it is. And obviously designing websites is very impactful. I'm not sure if most people know this, but the internet, if it was a country, it would be, I think, something like the second most like big emitter of the world. So yeah, the internet is like... Most people think that it's not like physical and tangible, but it actually really is. It has a, a huge amount of like carbon emission that it produces. And a reason for that is because the websites that we make, it's not just websites, obviously the internet's like a lot of things, it's the cloud and applications and a lot of different things, but websites, you know, have a, a role to play in that. And several things can impact how heavy your website is. But for example, like images, colors that you use, fonts that you use, also interactions and animations, all of these things are really heavy and they demand a lot of energy for the systems to go pull it off, pull it out when you go visit a site. So the reason why accessibility and, and the weight of a site can be intertwined is because if you Let's say if you're like in a country where the internet is not super reliable and maybe you're like in a situation of crisis and you need help, a lot of times you might want to look for this help on the internet because you need to reach out to people through these channels. So if the website that you're trying to go onto is super heavy and has loads of animations or, you know, things that the website has to load and you're in this crisis situation trying to go on the website, you might not have enough battery or enough data to access the website. And then that might, you know, not allow the user to get the help that they need. So that's a very specific, I guess, uh, use case. But that's just an example of like how intertwined accessibility and carbon emissions related to websites are. Thank you, Lucy. I really appreciate you like bringing attention to that. Who is one person that the listeners should know about? I would recommend checking out Dale Wilkinson. He's a really good friend of mine. He's the founder of uh, Good Gigs, which is a platform uh, that's um, if you're looking for a job or looking for a gig as a freelancer, uh, but you also want to make sure that you're going to work for a mission-driven startup or company or any kind of business that do good in the world, then you should go on this platform because that's the place where all the all such companies go and advertise the the jobs that they want to fill. Uh, so his name is Dale Wilkinson. You can also follow him on uh, on Twitter. He's a super great human being. He's also very generous with his uh, the, the amount of help and advices that he gives to people. So yeah, he helped me a lot in the past and I recommend uh, anyone to go talk to him if you need help with finding a job in a mission-driven company. And what about reading? What is a book that you think everyone should read? Uh, so I would recommend reading Sustainable Web Design by Tom Greenwood. He is the founder of 
London-based agency called Whole Grain Digital. And uh, yeah, they are an agency focused on helping good doers do business. And they are very focused on sustainable web design, as you might, as you might imagine. And the book is very, it's very technical and very actionable. So if you design websites, if you're a developer, I really, really recommend reading it. I believe everyone should get paid for their time. On this show, we share profits from our advertisers with all of our guests. Are there other ways that our listeners can support you, hire your agency, or anything else? Yeah, so you can go check out our website, but don't go visit it too many times because that will emit more carbon. <laughs> uh, but you can head to um, positiveimpact.design. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is positiveimpact.design as well. We currently have 46 followers because I just created the, the page a few months ago and I never had time to post anything on it. So if you have uh, five seconds, go become uh, the 47th follower of Positive Impact uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter where I try to write stuff about branding and sustainable design and web design. And what about you, Zach? Where can people support you? <laughs> <laughs> people can share Bezier with other people. I appreciate you asking. Thank you. Lucy, thank you so much for being on Bezier. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Just a reminder to be a kind human being and to think about the impact that you have in the world. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.